Well, welcome to Crossroads. Thanks for joining us today. It's week five of this series. We've entitled Words of Wisdom. We've been walking through the entire book of Proverbs. We've been trying to learn how to manage our finances, lead our family, how to use our words well. And today we're actually going to look at the topic of work. How do we find meaning and how do we have wisdom in the things that we do? We've been encouraging you to read through the entire book of Proverbs one day for each chapter. And today is January 31st. Is it like crazy that January is gone like that? Wow. So today we're reading Proverbs 31. And it's really cool that today we're focusing on Proverbs 31. If you are familiar with the book of Proverbs, you might know that Proverbs 31 has a long section from verses 10 through 31 that's labeled the wife of noble character, the woman of noble character. And while that is very true and very descriptive about the type of women or type of woman you should be as a wife, it is also a list of characteristics that are good for men too. And so I would encourage both men and women to look at the wisdom of chapter 31. But today we're going to take a little more universal view because some scholars believe that what's happening in chapter 31 is a, a culmination of the entire book written in a celebration about this woman. If you've been reading through Proverbs, you know that wisdom is personified as a woman throughout the book. And so what many think is that this celebration of this woman at the end is actually what wisdom looks like at its fullest. And so today we're going to apply that wisdom found in all of Proverbs to what we do as work. And we believe that Proverbs has a lot to say about how we do our work. Good morning, church family. You know, when we think about work, sometimes our first reaction is to think that work is a bad thing. And we think, you know, back in the Garden of Eden, when God was punishing Adam and Eve for their rebellion against what he said, uh, he gave them work to do. Uh, but actually, work has always been central to God's ultimate mission. Think about the first thing we learn about God in Scripture. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created. The first thing that we learn about God is that he's a worker. And the very first words he says to the human beings that he made, to Adam and Eve, is a description of the work he intends for them to do alongside him. It's the impact of sin that has really caused work to be more toilsome to us, maybe annoying, and it, it takes more effort to bring the fruitfulness for which it was designed. And when you think about the whole scope of Scripture, we know that G this ultimate mission that Jesus and that God are on is to restore all things, right? It's to redeem and to restore everything, not just us as individuals, which we're really grateful for, but also our work and how that work is directed towards his ultimate vision. That ultimate vision is kind of expressed in a city. In, in Revelation 21, there's a city coming down out of heaven, and we go from garden in Genesis 1 all the way to city in Revelation 21. That's the vision that God gives. And how do you go from garden to city? Well, that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of kinds of work, and that's a really important thing for us to grasp today because I think it will change your life. If you can connect what you do every day, the work that you do, paid or unpaid, student or not, retired or not, to God's work, to his ultimate mission, and I'm confident that scripture gives us the ability to see that reality. It's what living on mission with our whole lives really looks like. We've been talking a lot about that. We wanna live and love like Jesus in our whole lives. And today we've actually got a group of people on stage that's gonna help us think about how they live and love like Jesus in their work lives. And we're gonna use Proverbs uh, to help us understand that. 
So I want to take just a couple minutes and introduce four key characteristics that Proverbs specifically highlights about the wise worker. So it says the wise worker is hardworking, trustworthy, shrewd, which you might want to think of prepared and resourceful, and generous. So I want to take uh, one verse from chapters 1 through 30 and one verse from chapter 31, the culmination of the idea of wisdom personified, and, and learn what does it say about each of these characteristics. So hardworking. Proverbs 10.4 says, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 31.13, she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. The wise worker is also trustworthy. Proverbs 13.17 says, a wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a trustworthy envoy brings healing. Proverbs 31.25 in the Amplified Version says, strength and dignity are her clothing, and her position is strong and secure. And she smiles at the future, knowing that she and her family are prepared. Her family knows her. She's trustworthy to take care of them. Proverbs 20, verse 4, talking about the wise worker being shrewd. Sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look but find nothing. Proverbs 31, 16 through 17 then says, She considers a field before she buys or accepts it, expanding her business prudently. With her profits, she plants fruitful vines in her vineyard. She takes the profits and makes more profits with them. With them. And then she equips herself with strength, spiritual, mental, and physical fitness for her God-given task and makes her arms strong. And lastly, the wise worker is generous. Proverbs 28, 27, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. And Proverbs 31, 20, the wise worker opens and extends her hand to the poor, and she reaches out her filled hands to the needy. So you can see the wise worker is hardworking trustworthy, shrewd, prepared and resourceful, and generous. So as we lean into these characteristics in our day-to-day work, we can better connect our work to God's work, and we can uh, start thinking of God's work as something we do every day, not just what the professional Christians get paid to do, and not just what we do with our spare time, our extra time, we show up on Sunday or do something on Tuesday night when we're volunteering, but all of our work, when we lean into these characteristics, becomes a part of God's work. Good morning. So we're going to start the panel discussion. These are a group of folks that are part of our Crossroads family, everyday people like you and me, and they're going to be sharing how they're partnered with God in the work that they do. So we're going to start with Tammy Gorman, and I got the chance to sit down with Tammy recently, and I was so grateful to hear the story of her life journey in the healthcare field. Um, specifically in critical care, all the way from candy striper in high school to now an ER nurse. So, uh, Tammy, I wanted to start with, um, when, when we were uh, talking earlier, I think I was really just struck by the, how important that the characteristic of trustworthiness is in your line of work. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I'm going to start, first of all, with um, trustworthiness, obviously, is super important for um, nurses. But before I get into my patients, um, I know that I need to have that trust with my coworkers. 
I need to be a um, person that they can trust, that they can come to. I work at Gateway Emergency Room, and um, I'm referred to as the work mom there, which I love. Um, And, you know, because I try to give that positive vibe and that helpful spirit about me, my coworkers come to me with questions about their patients, their patient care, family situations. And then even when they have their own personal issues, um, they may come to me and ask me, hey, can you pray about this situation? Um, And then moving on to my patients and their families. In the ER, it's a little different than inpatient care because we have them for such a small window of time. So developing that trust, we don't have maybe the whole week that they've been in the hospital. We have maybe an hour to three hours. So I begin as soon as you enter that patient's room and you listen to them because they're there because not for fun, but they're there because they're sick. They're afraid. They're not sure what they're going to find out. They're not sure what's going on with them. So listening to them, being empathetic to what they have going on. And, you know, this past year with um, COVID and the isolation and the visitation restrictions that hospitals have had to have to keep us safe and patients safe, um, a lot of times these patients are there alone. And um, you can only begin to imagine going through some of those difficult things without your best support system being your family. So trying to reassure them that we are there as their advocate, that we're going to do our very best, that we're prepared, we're skilled to take care of them and ready to take care of them once they enter our ER. I'm sure that trustworthiness is important in other fields as well, but that's, thank you for sharing that. Uh, The other question I have is, you know, since March, I'm sure it's just been incredibly hard to be in the healthcare industry. Uh, Can you you talk a little bit about what gets you through the hard things you have to face as an ER nurse? And if you were going to do it all over again, would you do it? Yeah, this past year has been something. Um, But for me, when I start my morning... um, For my shift, it kind of consists of probably like a lot of you, a cup of coffee, um, some devotion time, um, scripture reading, prayer, um, love to listen to worship as I um, drive into the hospital, Um, have a wonderful support system with my husband at home. Um, It's always a great support knowing he's praying for me. Um, A lot of times my prayer is, you know, Lord, help me, first of all, whatever situation I find myself in in this shift, give me peace, give me calmness um, in the situation. And then I ask for him to give me the knowledge and the skills that I need to take care of my patient and their families and to be the team player that I need to be for, um, for my team. So that's kind of how my morning preparation, um, actually my daily preparation goes for um, what I do. And as far as choosing it, again, um, 100% yes, even with COVID this year, um, it's been a, a challenge for nurses. Um, For sure. I mean, you know, I know you guys have seen all the pictures, you know, all the isolation stuff and extra stuff we have to put on adds an extra layer of um, being hot, number one, and being um, tired. And not only do we have the expectation and the desire to provide that exceptional patient care, but we've also had to become their families because, you know, a lot of times they're in these, again, isolation rooms. They've been alone this year afraid. They can't breathe. They're struggling to breathe. How scary is that? And so their family can't be there for them. So we have to be that comfort for them. With her permission, I'll just share a quick um, story. My patient, her name is Lisa, who is also a friend and actually my daughter-in-law's mother, um, was one of the ones who COVID hit really, really hard and was a super healthy woman and was very, very sick. And it wasn't, we didn't know which way it was going to go. 
And just having the ability to be there beside her and to pray over her, she has told me so many times the peace and the comfort that that gave to her at the scariest time meant more to her than she could ever communicate. And how awesome that in my profession that the Lord has entrusted me and so many other nurses to be able to do that for people. It sounds like God has you exactly where he needs you. (laughs) Okay, last question for you. Um, Can you tell me about a time or tell us about a time that you saw God at work? Again, this is my 30th year of doing critical care, and so when she had asked me this question, man, there's so many opportunities that I could share because, um, again, God is at work every day in all of our lives, right, and all the things that he calls us to do as um, ministry. And I think the one that I'm going to share today that I always go back to actually happened before I became a nurse. I was a nursing student, actually, is my junior year. And um, I was in ICU for that rotation, and I had had this elderly patient who was very sick, and we were kind of doing end-of-life type of things for her. Um, I had the opportunity to pray with her throughout that week as she began to process that her time on earth was coming to an end and that, you know, the thing that we all work towards is um, the time that when we get to meet Jesus, she she was ready for that. But there was just this struggle of not wanting to let go of being here on earth and going to meet Jesus. And I think, you know, she was waiting on her children. She had three children, and they all lived in different states. And I remember they all were there this particular Wednesday, and um, they all prayed with their mom and shared amazing memories and stories that they had. And I just felt so prompted as a nursing student to just say, can I pray with you? Just I felt like the Lord just needed somebody to reach out to them and pray with her for her to make that journey to him. And so um, I did that, and like I said, it had been the week of her struggling to let go within minutes, literally. It was the first time I'd experienced death as a nursing student. I'd never seen it happen before. It's always part that gets me. But the peace that came over that room, you guys, I just can't even begin to tell you. Such peace, such calmness. It's a, a feeling that I'll never forget. And again, after doing it all these years, just last week, I had a similar experience where I was able to be used by the Lord again to pray with a family and have that same amazing peace that I experienced so many years ago, I still get to experience today. So, so thankful that the Lord has allowed me to minister in my profession. Thank you for sharing that. Well, hey, church family, this is Dale Naylor, or many of you may know him as Mr. Naylor, as he is the principal at McGarry Middle School, or you might know him as deputy sheriff and see him out in the lobby uh, each week uh, with us. So, Mr. Naylor, it's not every day that we get a chance to just hear from somebody who has uh, four decades almost of experience and education and and thinking through how your faith impacts that work. Um, And I was hoping you could just kind of share a little bit of your passion and why you decided on a teaching career, and then also just what ways are you finding where you're able to bless others in your work? Thanks, Ross, and I really appreciate you uh, letting everybody know how old I am with four decades of education. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> sure. Thanks for bringing that up. I, I was blessed uh, as a senior in high school and had an opportunity to go to Haiti and do some mission work, and it was very powerful for me. You know, little did I know at the time that it was going to influence, you know, my direction. Um, I was able then to coach uh, football in college, and it was a calling. 
Um, so education then became my passion. The, the best part about this is I get, I get paid to work with kids and a great staff. But it's my job as a leader to lead by example. I charge my teachers every single day to make sure that they make someone's life a little better. I also charge my family, my daughters. What can you do throughout the day to make somebody smile, to make somebody have a better day? We have a tremendous responsibility in that we're working with kids. We're working with the most vulnerable. So as we move forward through this horrible time, we always have to look at the good things that we can find, you know, instead of getting wrapped up in negativity. So I have to watch myself occasionally to not get, you know, bogged down by the negative. So I, like I said, I, I challenge every person that I come in contact with to make somebody's day a little bit better. That's awesome. I remember when we were talking, um, I was just struck by how uh, you have to kind of be shrewd in your work to bless others. You have to you have to be resourceful and use your intelligence to identify opportunities like that where you can bless someone. So I was going to give you an opportunity to share a way that you've done that, but then also another statement that I had to say is you tell your teachers that uh, the students will re may not remember what you taught them, but they'll remember how you treated them. And then I just wanted to give you the opportunity to say how somebody might have impacted you in that way as well. Absolutely. So we have had a, you know, some, some difficult times with some of our kids. And I have a sixth grader who was consistently 20, 25 minutes late to, uh, to school every day. And, you know, we had some teachers concerned. They, you know, they wanted to give him detention. I said, let's take a step back and look at this. Why is he late? Well, come to find out, as a 12-year-old, he was charged with taking care of his little brother because mom had to go to work. And so he couldn't come to school until after he had put his little brother on the bus. Well, then he would come to school and he was hungry and get a chance to eat. So his behavior then reflected that. But once we were able to kind of dive in and, and really find the root of what the, what the issue was, and we were able to change his schedule, he comes in in the morning, 20 minutes late, 25 minutes late, and we don't say a word. We have his breakfast ready for him. And, and, and we just witnessed to him that, you know, we, we're here to help you. You know, like I said, he, he is definitely not going to remember what we taught him. But he's going to remember that, you know, we cared about him and we gave him breakfast. And, and, and I had somebody in my life, when I was in high school, I had um, Coach Grip, as we used to call him, Larry Grippenstraw. He's uh, one of our members here. Um, was one of my coaches and a math teacher. And I can tell you for sure, I have no idea what he taught me in math. But he greeted me every single day with a smile, greeted everyone with a smile, and never was in a bad mood. You know, and I can just still remember him, you know, walking in the door, hey, Nails. You know, he could say that every time. And those people made an influence and had a, had a huge impact on my life and how I treat people. Well, thanks, Dale. Thanks for the way you teach and the way you're leading. Um, yes, thanks. So we also have Scott Schrader up here. And Scott has a different title that doesn't immediately tell you uh, what he does. Um, so Scott, please tell us what your work is. Sure. So uh, I lead two of our family uh, businesses here in town, Crescent and Wabash Plastics. We're custom plastics manufacturers. Um, we have uh, roughly 400 uh, employees here in the Evansville area uh, across our organizations. Um, and we deal with customers such as Whirlpool and Carrier and GE, 
manufacturing plastic products for them. Awesome. Well, that's a leadership role that you've got, but could you tell us about your very first leadership opportunity? Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm one of the thousands uh, of uh, students here in the, uh, in the greater Evansville area that, that benefited from, uh, from Mr. Naylor. Um, he was my PE teacher at Plaza Park Middle School. So I was in seventh grade, I think, and some of my buddies said, hey, man, you should try out for the, uh, for the basketball team. Um, I'm not very tall now. I was really short then. I couldn't shoot and I couldn't dribble. Uh, so basketball seemed like a, a great choice. Um, it was a two-day tryout, and after the first day of tryout, uh, Mr. Naylor came up to me and said, Scott, have you ever thought about being a team manager? Um, so that was my first, uh, first leadership opportunity, and I, I was blessed. I got to hang out with Mr. Naylor all the time, and I, uh, I didn't have to play basketball, so it worked out great. That's just great. Thanks for sharing these, some of these connections with us. Um, Scott, you have the privilege and responsibility today to represent kind of the for-profit work. And sometimes uh, it's harder to connect for-profit work with our faith. Um, but I, I just want to ask you, you know, when you're thinking about the type and the quality of goods and services that you're providing to all of your stakeholders, your customers, your employees, your suppliers, lenders, whoever it might be, you know, what is the responsibility you feel there in terms of the, your faith coming into play every day? Yeah, it's, uh, it is a little harder from the, in the for-profit side to say, take a look at, I make refrigerator trays, you know, how does that honor God? Um, but if you look back on Proverbs and the, and the work that we've done over the past month in, the, in this uh, study, you know, the first and foremost, that God wants me, he wants all of us to work hard. Uh, and, and he wants us to, to, you know, reap the fruits of that. And, and part of that is, for, in a for-profit business, is to be profitable. I mean, that's how we sustain ourselves. That's how our business continues to grow. So he wants us to be profitable. He wants us to grow our business. But at the same time, it's not a profit above all else. It's, it's not to, to say that we're going to put all other morals, all other values aside in a, in a pure chase for profitability. Um, you know, really, our success should be because of our hard work and not at the expense of someone else. And I think that's something very, very critical to keep in mind as we go through the day and as we make decisions. And the second piece of that is um, wisdom. You know, I don't have all the answers, and, and I don't pretend to have all the answers at work. Um, I use prayer a lot uh, throughout my workday. If I'm walking into a, you know, confrontational conversation, a difficult conversation, an important meeting, um, I like to take that second or two to step back. Hey, Lord, give me, <laughs> guide me here. Help me find the answers. And, and also, you know, wisdom can be found in those around us. I've got uh, um, several folks that are members of our congregation uh, that I meet with regularly. Uh, Paul Lingy and, and Andy Peter are two guys that I bounce ideas off constantly. I, they are wise, and they take time to impart their wisdom on me. That's awesome. Just one last question that something that struck me when we were talking was uh, your desire and even the joy you find in creating a workplace that really cares about the employees that you're leading. If you could just talk a little bit about what does that mean and what does that look like? Yeah, it, like any organization, um, we are only as strong as, as, our, as our people. And um, I've, uh, uh, like I said, we're a family business. And if I look back at my, my uncle and my dad and their careers, some of their greatest strengths to our organization is their ability to hire uh, good people and surround themselves with, with good people. I'm blessed to go to work every day and get to work with some awesome, amazing people. Um, and, you know, what really gets me out of bed in the morning and gets me, you know, fired up to get into work is that 
responsibility and that opportunity to continue to grow our businesses so that our employee base is successful. You know, we provide jobs, we provide opportunity, and we have lots and lots of employees that uh, can make a good living and go on vacation and send their kids to college and, and do some pretty amazing things um, through getting to work together. So, yeah. Awesome. Scott and Dale, thank you so much. I'm grateful today that Billy Bullen is here with us on our panel. He's the chief of police with the Evansville Police Department. And uh, Billy, you've been in law enforcement uh, for 25 plus years. So I'd love to know the beginning. Like, why did you decide to go into law enforcement to begin with? Well, it was never a goal of mine to go into law enforcement. And I didn't mention this earlier, but like Dell, I had Mr. Grip in high school. And then his wife, Mrs. Grippenstraud, also goes here, gave me a paddling when I was in grade school. So I did harass her about that after the last service. But so being a police officer wasn't my career path. It wasn't what I planned on. I was honestly scared of my own shadow when I was in high school. And it was after, well, when I was in high school, I started working at Kmart. And I had been there for a couple of years. I was in college at this point. And one of my supervisors came up and asked me if I'd like to start doing loss prevention, which is catching shoplifters. And I did that for a while, and I ended up loving it, and I realized that I enjoyed the adrenaline rush, the foot chases I would get into, the fights, things like that, and I didn't expect that. And ended up becoming really good friends with a guy who's now one of my best friends today um, doing that job, and we would both talk about the police officers that were coming in when we would catch shoplifters and how rude some of them were to us, uh, how they acted like we were running their day, that they had to do something, and so the both of us kind of talked about why we liked the aspect of being police. If we did it, we wanted to do it completely different than we were seeing from some of these people coming in. So I think looking back, um, God knew what he was doing for me, but I didn't really know what I was doing back in. I had a different perspective of why I was wanting to do it. Wow. I'm sure over the years you've seen law enforcement change in many different ways. You probably even noticed some changes about yourself. Can you speak to a couple of those in both of the categories? Yeah, career-wise, I started my career at the Henderson, Kentucky Police Department. And when I started over there, we didn't have a single computer in the building, let alone in one of our police cars. Everything we did was handwritten. Uh, today, everything they do in the car is on a computer. All of our reports at headquarters on a computer, as most of you are using computers, but as far as our tool belt, uh, we didn't have pepper spray back then, we didn't have expandable batons, we didn't have tasers. So there's so much equipment that's different that makes the job easier now. And then there's bigger equipment too, the, the invention of the body camera, GPS systems, drones. I mean, so much of that is just things that I would have never thought we would have or dreamed up back when I started. And then as a family side, uh, I was young, I'd just gotten married when I started this career, we didn't have any kids, and now I've got three grown men. Uh, so it's been quite the change for me, personality-wise. And the other thing I didn't hit earlier is, you do see the negative side of people in police work, uh, kind of the evil side of society. You get used to people lying to you on a regular basis, so I think it does harden you a little bit, I think, but having a family, being involved in the church has been able to keep us grounded, and I think I'm still the same optimistic guy I used to be, but maybe just a little bit harder than I was when I started. You know, in all work, being trustworthy, being filled with integrity is really important, but I'd say certainly in the area of law enforcement, that's really important. How, uh, how do you see that playing out, integrity, trustworthiness, and how do you try to nurture that in those that you lead? Um, I think it's highly important for the profession and my position within the profession. Um, one example I would give is 
if the public doesn't see us as being trustworthy or honest, we have things like we did last year. You look at Minneapolis and how that can affect the whole country, and that's something we try to talk about within the walls of the department is it's not necessarily just going to affect you or us or your little corner of the world, but we are under such a microscope that it could affect our whole country. So we have to do things the right way, and we have to do them the right way all the time. And I understand we're going to make mistakes, but we need to be striving to do the right thing. We need to be honest. And as the leader, I need to be honest, and we need to be trustworthy. Uh, I hit on the body cams. I think that's the number one thing that can help us moving forward to, to show the public and be transparent when we have critical incidents to get out in front of it and show what happened, let the public see the real version of events, including whenever we do something bad or we mess up. And I think that brings some credibility when they see that we're willing to show both the good and the bad. Well, thanks for serving our community. Thanks for Thank being you. a perfect integrity. Yeah. We also are joined by Rachel Klink, and Rachel's work is as a wife and as a mom. And I'd love for you, Rachel, just to share a little bit, first of all, just your spiritual journey. How has your life been centered on Christ or on God, the fear of the Lord, as Proverbs speaks of, throughout your life? Sure. Um, well, I grew up in a Christian home, multiple generations of, of Christians. I was even saved in a summer Bible camp and was in Christian education, Christian university. So I had a fairly strong biblical foundation. I think the presence and the leading of the Holy Spirit has been there throughout, but I think it really solidified when I was in college. You leave home, you're on your own, your faith has to become your own. And I think it even more intensified in a unified calling after getting married. God is in the habit of blowing up the boxes that we put him in, and his will is surprising, and sometimes it's different from what we thought it would be. Uh, it was even different from what our parents thought it should be. And those moments were hard, but we call ourselves Jesus' disciples, and so if your rabbi is the son of God, and he says, follow me, you follow him, you follow him. <laughs> and I, I think with every step that we've taken, it's been worth it. What are some of those uh, changes, some of those ways that God's directed your path that maybe you wouldn't even have signed up for initially? Sure. <laughs> ever since childhood, ever since I was a little girl, I have wanted to become a doctor. My father's a surgeon. It's something I, I looked up to him. It was something I'd always wanted to do. And so all of the decisions I made in high school and in college were sort of were toward that end. And then I met Joe, and all of that changed. So fast forward, oh, we met in organic chemistry, no less. So where were two pre-med majors going to meet, right, in class? So we meet, we fall in love. So fast forward, Joe gets into medical school early. Uh, he, finishes, he finishes college early because that's who he is. He gets in early decision at IU, and then I have my own decision to make. And I, I knew that God was asking me to give up the pursuit of a dream I'd had since childhood in order to follow what he wanted me to do. And I knew that I wanted him more than I wanted medical school. So fast forward, um, I eventually found nursing. Um, I found nursing school, got into it, and absolutely loved it. This was what I was meant to do. 
and eventually later became a nurse practitioner again and loved my job. And then God made another hard ask to walk away from that job. That was really hard, but I did it because I knew it was him doing it. And now I have a new assignment. I get to work from home, <laughs> caring for people, which is funny because I'm an introvert and I care for people in my home on a weekly basis. Tell me about just how Proverbs has influenced some of those decisions you've had to make, especially in being generous toward others, sure. sacrificial of your own desires to benefit others. Sure. So the Proverbs 31 woman we're talking about today, um, we all aspire to this, right? I mean, her industriousness, her self-sacrifice was really, was really for the betterment and benefit of others, and that's key. Uh, in a culture that tells me as a woman to serve myself and to chase my own dreams, I have to remember who I am and whose I am. I have to remember that I need to be willing instead to deny myself and follow him. And I'll follow his example because therein is the wisdom we've been talking about. Jesus came and turned the wisdom of the world on its head, literally, and the choices that he's asked me to make, they weren't, they weren't to a lesser calling, but they were to a calling that he has made me, created and redeemed me to do. And this has application too for me as Joe's custom designed help uh, and partner. God put us together and gave us a shared vision for kingdom work. And for, this to, and for this to work, I can't pursue what I think I deserve at the expense of everyone else in my world. The kids and their physical and spiritual well-being, ooh, that's next level self-denial. <laughs> but to me, Lydia and Nathan are included in my call to make disciples. They're included in that love one another as much as you love other people, love your neighbor, love your kids as much as you love yourself. Everyone around the woman in Proverbs 31 benefited. Her husband benefited, her family benefited, and her community benefited. And I think that's where I find the meaning. I want to say thank you for being willing to make those sacrifices, saying yes. I know Joe and Nathan and Lydia are benefiting from that and also everyone around you. So thank you. The work that God has given us to do is an opportunity and an invitation to be on mission with God, no matter what assignment we've given in whatever messy and beautiful part of life we happen to be in. So meaning, real meaning in our work then comes from honoring God. And the work that we do to honor God, we do by living out these characteristics of wisdom that we found in Proverbs that we've been studying for, for the past month. Um, do you remember how Proverbs began? Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instructions. Now listen to how Proverbs closes. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done 
and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. When we fear the Lord, we honor him by obeying the instructions that he has for our lives and by following the pattern that we see in Jesus, the way he lived and loved sacrificially completely. Paul states in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So you may have listened to all this and be thinking, yeah, but I don't see any special way that God can work through the work that God can work through what I do every day. Um, And that's where we want to come alongside you. We actually want to come alongside you and help connect what your work is to the work that God is doing. And one of the ways that we can do that is by introducing you to other, other Crossroads family members who are in the same line of work as you are. And by doing that together, we team up to bring kingdom values to the work that we do, connecting that, our work to God's work. So if that sounds interesting to you, and no strings attached, it's just an invitation to a simple conversation. If that sounds interesting, text the word work to 812-858-8668, and the Missional Living Team will be reaching out to you soon to start to make that connection. When we ask our panelists uh, just a series of questions, one of the things we asked several of them was, what's something that your church family could do for you as you go about your work? And several of them said, pray. And that, that sounded uh, like a pat answer, but it really wasn't. Their sincere heart was to ask us to pray for wisdom as they're going about their work. And so we wanted to close our time together today by doing that, not just praying for those uh, five of our panelists on the stage, but also praying for each of you who uh, work in some of the same context. And so I'm going to ask you to step out on a limb just a little bit if you're interested. Uh, when I address the context of the work that you're doing, i just like for you to stand and we'd like to pray a prayer of blessing over you. So let me start first with health care. Uh, if you are a nurse or a doctor, if you are a therapist of some type, a uh, counselor, mental health, if you work in a hospital as an administrator, if there's something that you do as a dentist, um, a dental hygienist, something in the medical field, would you stand right now? Also, what about education? Maybe you're a, a teacher. Maybe you are a school principal and administrator. Maybe you work at the school as a cafeteria worker or a bus driver. Maybe you're a student. Uh, if you're involved in the f- realm of education, would you stand now? Let's move to business. Maybe you're a businessman, a businesswoman. Maybe you're a part of a manufacturing. Maybe you have a skilled labor job. Uh, maybe you're involved in uh, things in the arts, like you're a, a graphic designer or telecommunications. Maybe you're involved in sales. Anything that you would consider a business realm. Would you stand? Awesome. Let's now move to uh, the community, serving our community as a public servant. If you're a a law enforcement agent, a policeman, a fireman, if you work for medical response, maybe you're part of the court system or our local government, you serve this community in some way, would you stand right now? Then finally, maybe the work you're doing is hard work, but it's unpaid. Maybe it's a mom. Maybe it's a dad. Maybe it's a wife, a husband. Maybe it's laboring in this community as a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle. Maybe you work for a nonprofit organization or a faith-based organization. Maybe you work in some way really hard, but nobody even knows. You fit into that category. Go ahead and stand. 
Then finally, maybe you're retired. You worked hard most of your life, and now you're still working and engaged in some way, but it's just not for pay. Or maybe I've not mentioned a category that you, fit, you feel like you fit into yet, but you're working. I'd like for you to stand right now, and we just want to offer a prayer blessing over the work we do. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for creating work. It's not a curse. It's actually something that you're really good at. You're creative. You're hardworking. You have revealed your um, just spirit and character in what you have made. And we're part of your work, fearfully and wonderfully made, God. Thanks for modeling what good work looks like and teaching us how to go about it through Proverbs and other truths in Scripture. God, thank you for giving us meaning in our work. It's not a God to worship, but it is something that we can feel good about contributing to what you're doing in the world around us. And so, God, I ask for wisdom. I said you would help us to work hard and be trustworthy. God, that we would be shrewd, we'd be wise in our decision-making. God, I pray that we'd be generous. Lord, as we go about our work in this way, I pray that people would not only see the work we're doing and it would benefit other people, but God, I pray as we go about our work, they would see you. They'd see your character. You would see, they would see the way that, that you live and the way that you love, the way that you work, being uh, reflective in us. And that would draw them to you, Lord. And I pray for a protection and for a blessing over all the work that we do. May it be furthering your kingdom and for your glory, we pray through Jesus. Amen. Hey, before uh, you sit down, check out just some encouragement and some challenge from Scripture, Colossians 3. Check out this video. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. Whatever you do. Do it from the heart. Do it from the heart. Do it from the heart. As something done for the Lord. As something done for the Lord. As something done for the Lord. And not for people. Not for people. Not for people. And not for people. 